Welcome to Pup Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. Craft Beer Cellar is a family of retail craft beer stores focused on amazing beer, hospitality, and education with 23 locations in 11 states across the country. And this is good to know if you're in my area. They've got a new store coming uh, near me in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Visit craftbeerseller.com for a location near you and keep listening next month for an opportunity an opportunity to win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar. How can you join our conversation tonight? You can follow us at Pub Theology and use hashtag PTLive. On Facebook, you can comment at facebook.com slash pubtheology. You can watch live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com, and you can listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive. Tonight, we're going to be discussing why is church often such a difficult place to be spiritually honest. We're going to discuss whether reading the Bible makes you more liberal, and we'll talk about whether we've had a decent meal recently, among other things. We're joined tonight by guest David Hayward. David is a writer, pastor, artist, and author. You might know him as the Naked Pastor. His provocative cartoons have gained a wide readership, often unmasking the hypocrisies and ironies of church and faith. He's an ordained pastor, has done some church planting, and is currently cultivating an online community for spiritually independent people. David, welcome. Tell us where you're joining us from and maybe what you're drinking tonight. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm uh, in eastern Canada, St. John, New Brunswick. I'm north of Maine for Americans who don't know where Canada is or anything <laughs> in Canada. I don't say that, uh, you know, meanly. Um, I'm married to an American. I studied in America, and uh, and uh, so I know there's uh, some people that just don't know very much about Canada. Anyway, I'm north of Maine and then one hour east, so I'm in a totally different time zone. And tonight I'm uh, actually it's it's uh, I'm observing Lent a little bit and um, I'm on a liquor fast, so tonight I'm drinking um, a really nice uh, Pellegrino with uh, with cranberry um, extract. So there we go. Well done. Well yeah. done. And and welcome. It really sucks. By the way. Really sucks. <laughs> yeah, tough timing. <laughs> we'll have you back when you can uh, have. a any beverage of your choice. Yeah. We should have had him on for the Lent discussion. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, welcome, Tina. Tell us where you're joining us from and what you're drinking tonight. Hi, this is Tina. I'm um, I'm calling. I'm in from Richmond, Virginia, and I'm drinking. Is props to my friend Brian who stopped by the other day and brought this for me. Um, it's Ooh. called Soul Style IPA. It's my Green Flash. I don't know, but it's bright and tropical. So it's a it's a Citrusy IPA, which is what I prefer. Nice, excellent, excellent. Uh, Green Flash is good stuff, and I'm drinking a uh, Plow Horse uh, Belgian-inspired Imperial Stout from uh, Brewery Vivant uh, here in uh, here in Michigan. Wow, it's, it's a good one, but it's a serious one. What was that, David? We went from lighter to heavier. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a thick one. It's yeah, a thick one. That's good. a meal replacement. Remember. 
That's your daily uh, bread requirement. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to start off with something light tonight and say what was the best thing you had to eat recently? Uh, either one of you fire away. Go ahead, David. You're the guest. Um, uh, Lisa and I, we went for a couple of days off. We went to a nearby city, Halifax, which is even further east. And um, we went to a couple restaurants. So I really love Italian food, so I really had a great Italian meal. I just love a really good spaghetti with a marinara sauce and meatballs. So that was really nice. And then we went to a steakhouse and uh, another night, and um, I really love a good steak. So a really thick, I think they call it a baseball steak. So really thick tenderloin and uh, medium rare. It's so thick, that's the most they can cook it, medium rare. Wow. And then, then, the, then the style I like is Chicago style, where it's burnt crispy on the outside. That's, that's my kind of steak right there. <laughs> oh, man. So good. A glass of red wine? I couldn't, have, I couldn't have wine, so that really sucked. Oh, yeah. Anyway. anyway. Right. Well, it sounds sounds delicious. Uh, Tina, what about you? Something good to eat uh, lately? Yeah, you know what? Um, there's there's a burger place, um, and, and I, I say that because I'm not really that big of a burger person, but it's called the Burger Bock. It's in Carytown, which is like a, a part of Richmond. It's a really cute part of Richmond. But I took my boys there on Valentine's Day. They just have the best burgers. It's a New Zealand-style restaurant, or New Zealand-inspired, I guess. Um, but they just have, like, the coolest combinations. It's, like, you know, grass-fed beef. It's it's just... Uh, they. They just have really cool stuff there, so and they have great dipping sauces for the fries. So yeah, that's the best meal I've had lately. <laughs> nice, very good, very good. How about you? Uh, well, uh, last night we uh, had a salad. It was nothing fancy, but it was with uh, lettuce that we grew uh, over the winter in the house uh, through some. You know, by magic, I guess. Uh, I didn't know you could grow things uh, in the winter in Michigan, but we experimented and grew some really uh, tasty lettuce, and we used that and um, made a real simple salad with uh, tomatoes and apples and onions and wow. blue so cheese dressing, and it was good. Cool. So did you do Did you do a, a regular dirt garden, or did you do some funky hydroponic, aquaponic? Type of thing. It's. I think it's like an aquaponic setup. Yep. Really? That's so cool. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to get more details about that later. It was. Yeah, it was cool. The kids had fun with it. Kids uh, had fun with it. A good experience for them. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's get into uh, maybe uh, the heart of our content for tonight with a quote from Peter Enns, who says, "Church is too often the most risky place for the spiritually honest." What a shame. And so the question is, why is that, and is that your experience, and maybe what might need to change to allow for such honesty? And David, uh, as our guest, would love to hear your thoughts on, thoughts on this one. Well, yeah, that's been my experience uh, because um, my, new, my newest book out actually tells that story, Questions Are the Answer. And uh, where I, I left the ministry finally in 2010 after I'd been uh, in, in the ministry for 30 years. And I'd always tried to provide a place in the church where people could explore and search and question, doubt, you know, all those things. 
And I think I, I, I wanted to provide that because I needed that. I needed that place too. So, um, and I was continually searching, continually questioning, and um, I found myself constantly moving from one church to the next, or the next uh, movement to the next yes. or the denomination or whatever. Um, always and and always finding a, a slightly larger box that I could fit in and um, ask questions in until finally the last church I pastored, the Vineyard Church, was really it was really great. I was there for um, like uh, I was at the church for like 15 years and pastored um, like 13 or 12 or 13 of those years. And it was a great community. Um, I had a great leadership team. It was a really spacious place in terms of being able to ask questions. But uh, it finally got to the point. And now, my, I, I'm, meanwhile, I'm, I'm writing and doing my cartooning on Naked Pastor and kind of I didn't realize it, but I was outing myself uh, mm. there theologically to the point where people just started saying, whoa, you know, uh, we, we're a big box, but we're not that big maybe. So right. we, me and the congregation, we had a very amicable parting of ways. Uh, at, that mo at that time, it was amicable. And, yeah, I just came to the conclusion that there is no box big enough to handle my questions. And, and you know, also came to the conclusion I don't need a box, maybe. So, uh, yeah, I, that's been my experience with the church, and I know, that, I know it's the experience of many other people, too, who are intellectually curious, spiritually, um, you know, questioning or doubting and, and, and want to explore the... It's they either have to do it in secret or with shame and fear and trepidation. Um, there are a few places I know that allow it, um, but I think it's pretty rare. That's my experience, my observation. Well, why do you think it is that way, David? Well, because uh, I was a pastor, so I can speak from experience that um, uh, if you. Uh, if the church has a goal it wants to achieve, it wants to be something, it has a vision for what it wants to be, then questions interrupt that process. People who are always constantly questioning or, you know, they have doubts or things, that that's like uh, static interference in the, in the way of where a church wants to go. But isn't that how we learn and grow? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. I think I think personally we do. But see, when when you know from experience, I know that, uh, and and from observation and hearing other people's stories, that uh, if the church, generally speaking, has an has theological authority over people's lives, they think, and for the most part. It can be good, or people can think it's good. And so the church has the answers. It has the theology. It has its doctrine. It has its values. It has a statement of faith. And um, it's okay to question as long as it's around that and as long as the conclusion is that you'll, you know, align with it. And, and, and so, you know, even though I believe personal growth is questions are uh, an essential part of that, when in that kind of a context where, you know, eventually you need to align with the statement of faith, 
then questions are just going to get you in trouble. Unless you stop at some point before you get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you think about that, Brian? You're a pastor too. Oh, you're a pastor, Brian? He's afraid to answer that. No. <laughs> frozen. Yeah, I think you're frozen. Um, yeah, I think it, it, there, it has a lot to do... It, I see similarities with our society too. Like we're not allowed to ask questions. We're allowed, not allowed to mis make mistakes. Like when did all this stuff become taboo? You know, when did it stop being okay, or was it never okay to ask questions and make mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, I am a I am a pastor. Thanks for asking her the question. Uh, and uh, I've been ordained in my denomination for ten years, and I really resonate with what you're saying, David. That uh, questions unfortunately too often get in the way and um, you know I had to sign a statement of faith coming out of seminary and um, yeah. at the time you know at the time I was okay to sign that uh, but in the intervening years between now and then that's been over 10 years uh, I'm not the same person I was and uh, and for me I found it uh, an increasingly difficult place to be and I'm actually in the process of uh, moving over to the United Church of Christ uh, which is a, a wider space um, and where there aren't uh, creed, any creeds that you have to sign up for. Um, and I'm looking forward to a little wider space uh, to explore life and faith and community together. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I hear what you're saying exactly. Well, you know, it, it was a learning process for me. I, I, you know, when I came out of seminary and started pastoring, I had all the answers and, you know, was passing on my wisdom to the congregation, you know, and and uh, any questions or anything were okay as long as it was getting them closer to me and my theological position, or what I believed was the church's official position. But uh, as I began to question and realizing, hey, this is for everybody. Every we all need to question. You know, it's the whole Socrates thing. It, it it's just basic philosophy, and. Uh, and this, so then, you know, this would start happening like in small groups and stuff and people would be asking questions and you think, you know, I want us to be a community, you know, and, and I want us to feel this community vibe. And, but people would be asking questions, there'd be conflict, there'd be resolution, there'd be people, you know, and I, I always felt like this was getting in the way, this was interrupting the, mm. the, my vision for having an awesome community. And, and then finally one day it just dawned on me, hey, wait a minute. This is community. We're actually doing it. This is what it looks like, you know. There's no pie-in-the-sky uh, fantasy. Uh, this is actually community, and it's kind of like farming, you know, uh, and I've done a little bit of that too. You're weeding the garden. You're picking stones out of the earth. You're, you know, gathering sticks. You're shoveling shit, you know, you're, all this stuff, you know, I want a farm, I want to have a nice farm, and then you realize one day, hey, this is what it means to be a farmer, and so it, it's it's the same with the church, you know, we, and I, this is another book I wrote, I'm not promoting my books, by the way, but you can't you get welcome to do so. One of, one of my earlier books is called uh, Without a Vision, My People Prosper, uh, and it's, it's me exploring that whole thing that, um, Bonhoeffer wrote about in Life Together, of uh, where he says uh, vision, visionary thinking actually destroys community. Right. 
And and uh, so I, I just pick at that theme in that book, and I, I've discovered that to be true. If you can hold off, if you can suspend the temptation to create a vision for your church or to set goals and to let people just grow at their own pace, um, it creates a, a real dynamic community. And that's been my experience, not only locally in churches, but online in the Lasting Supper. So, Do you think when you have a vision, you kind of forget about the people then? Like you're so focused on it? Yeah, so instead of loving the people, you're loving the vision, and, the, and then the people have to align with that. You know, they, your focus is on the vision and getting people there. You know, it it's becomes very utilitarian. And this is a harsh word, but it violates, I feel it violates the, the freedom of individuals. We're not very good at giving people spiritual autonomy in the church, are we? No. That's a, and I love that phrase, spiritual autonomy, or spiritual independence. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, one of the things I've uh, found doing uh, pub theology conversations, which is basically people gathering at a local restaurant, bar, or brewery, um, and doing what we're doing now, talking about questions uh, over yep. a beer or other beverage. And in that space, there are no expectations for you to be anywhere but exactly where you are. And we want yep. you to bring all your questions, um, as well as all your experiences and insights, uh, but also coming as, a, you know, a safe space where you can say anything and you're accepted uh, at the end of the night and yeah. we want to learn from each other and grow and we don't have any goal for where you're supposed to be at the end of the conversation, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Brian, can you imagine if we handled all conversations that way? <laughs> Not just the third ones. <laughs> You try that at the office tomorrow? Yeah. You know, it's the same with any anything, you know, like uh, growing your lettuce, you know. You, you can't pull on the leaves to make it grow faster. And, you know, you can't pull around with the roots trying to get it to sprout sooner. And, you know, it, what you do is you just provide nutrients soil, nutritious soil, you provide the environment for growth to happen. And for me, like you can't make growth happen, you provide the environment for the growth to happen. Mm -hmm. and so it's the same with community. If you provide a, an environment where people are free to grow and where growth can happen, it will. It really, really will. And, you know, you enjoyed your, you know, homegrown lettuce last night because you provided an environment in which you could grow freely and, and be lettuce. And, uh, and you know, I think not everybody likes it. Like, people, we think, oh, if people were just allowed their freedom, they, not many people don't. They want, I, I know this for a fact, where they've come and sat with me and said, listen, I need you to tell me what to believe. You know, I, you need to tell me what to believe. You need to tell me how to live, you know. Um, that's why we pay you, you know. So, uh, but there are enough people, and I think it's a growing phenomenon, uh, and it's not going to be a phenomenon for long. It's just going to be fact that mm -hmm. people, uh, there are more and more people want that freedom to, to grow, and they'll find those spaces where they're provided. Well, and, and, and like Brian's lettuce, you know, Brian grew his lettuce in his house, 
in, in alternative method, there's becoming more and more alternative methods to our spiritual growth, like exactly. your online supper group. Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, you know, you introduced me as a pastor, and uh, I, 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 uh, I, maybe I'm, I'm kicking against the pricks a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, because some people do call me that. But I, I, you know, when I left the ministry in 2010, um, that's when I thought I left being a pastor behind. But, and I know in some ways I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm acting like one. I know that. I realize that. I admit that. But, um, you know, the, the alternative is for me. I don't care about the labels or roles or, um, you know, liturgy or that's all just style. You know, uh, you know the shape of the box you planted your lettuce in or you know, the, the kind of lighting or where you bought it or what your basement looked like or, you know, all that is just superfluous. It's just style. What matters is the nutrients. What matters is the space, you know? And, and so whether or not people want to call me a pastor or um, whether or not they call me an atheist or a believer or it's an online community or it's a cult or I can well, no, let's hope it's not a cult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether it's church or, or this or that, I don't care. It's all I know is that it's a space where people are are growing and and appreciating their, their freedom and uh, just discovering their own paths, exploring and uh, you know walking their own their own way. So it's a beautiful thing. I love it. It's very dynamic. It's very chaotic, but it's a creative chaos. You know so. I think, as you said, not everybody is in that space, and some people, in fact, don't want or no. are uncomfortable with that freedom. And I think, uh, would you agree that it's partly because in the church, from a young age, many of us are treated like children, but then we grow up and we're still treated like children mm -hmm. all the way. Like, we're never really given freedom to ask questions, to own um, the things that we believe, or to say, well, why this? Why not that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to pretend I know where you were going with that. Uh, yeah, I uh, I agree. Like we we are never given we're we're never cut free from the apron spring apron spring strings of our of the church or from authority. Um, there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable not having authority over their you know having some form of authority. Um, it, impressed on their lives by somebody else or as I've heard it often said like who who's covering you what's your covering or you know who are you accountable to yeah exactly you know, this kind of thing so uh, it's I know for many people it's very scary and uh, I, I totally understand that but um, there's enough people and it is like I say a growing thing who are uh, finally just they're just fed up it's just not working like me I, how many, you know, I, I, I was baptized as a baby Anglican. We went to all different kinds of churches. I was saved in a Baptist church. We switched to Pentecostal. Then I got ordained Presbyterian. Then I, you know, um, went independent. Then I went vineyard. Then I went renewal. Then, I, you know, all yeah. for a place where I could be me. And finally, I found it. And it was outside of all those structures. So... Uh, and I, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people like me. 
Yeah. yeah. I love this uh, statement you have on your website where you say, I help people deconstruct without the self-destruct. Yeah. Could, you, could you say a little more about that? Well, I, um, I'd like to say I help. I try to help. I try to help people. Maybe I should, I should put that in there. I try to help because um, when I, like, when I left the church, theologically I'd come to a place of incredible peace. Okay, intellectually, theologically, I'd, I'd, you know, finally come to a place of incredible peace. But when I left the church, uh. I'll tell you, for the first year, I, I thought I was doing great. I remember my first Sunday morning not having to go to church, and I went for a walk, and people were driving by. I knew they were off to church. I could tell by the way they were dressed. Nice sunny day, you know, and got back to my back deck, and I smoked a nice big cigar, and I was drinking a beer. And I was thinking, man, this is beautiful, you know, and then I just loved my freedom. And... Uh, I didn't have to do anything or impress anybody or officiate anything, you know, it was wonderful. And that went on for about a year, and then I realized, because my very wonderful wife, Lisa, pointed out to me that I wasn't doing well, that, you know, um, I thought I was doing well, but actually I was just numb. I wasn't feeling anything. And uh, that was really the beginning of my deconstruction from church life. Theologically, no. Uh, I'd already done that over the many, many years of questioning. But for me, it was a church was a, like a drug, and I, I went cold turkey. And it took a long time for me to figure out how to um, readjust and live in this world without, you know, uh, having the church as my immediate family, so to speak. Because when I when I left the church, I was I was you know, my wife and I had filed for personal bankruptcy. Um, our kids were gone, so we were empty nesters. Lisa had gone back to university. She's now a nurse. She got her nursing degree. Uh, I, I walked away from my career and my income, We and we walked away from our community and friends, right? Wow. So it was like a perfect storm, like everything. we it, And I thought I was doing great. I, you know, when I look back now, what an idiot. But like uh, what I after a while I realized I was just numb and you know it took me it took me a good while to navigate that treacherous you know deconstructive journey because you know that we have all kinds of ways of dealing with it like you know getting depressed or uh, angry or um, you know hopeless or uh, drinking or being unhealthy in many ways or you wonder now without any accountability to anybody nobody sees you or notices you anymore what you can get away with like you know it's a dangerous time James, and, uh, don't you think it's kind of vital to your growth oh it's, yeah you have to do it but I you have to go through it I'm sorry to say but I like to um, try to help people go through that and maybe if they need it I, or ask for it I can give advice or give them warnings of what to expect and I compare the people who leave the church like pioneers they're setting out on their own they're going through a very dangerous country through the wilderness mm -hmm. un 
charted pathways and you know there's wild animals and enemies and natural disasters of all kinds waiting for you so uh, I just like to help people navigate that um, as healthy as possible and as safely as possible because not get lost in the woods <laughs> there is yeah not to get lost and not to get destroyed you know and not to lose everything not to not to um, destroy everything around you and lose everything around you and and there is there is real joy and peace on the other side there is so absolutely absolutely and I, it sounds to me like uh, you know uh, your wife and you both uh, have been on a journey and I think one of the challenges in the spiritual life is when you really go through an evolution or a breaking of whatever mold you were given uh, from the church that if you're in a tight relationship that can really be a stress um, so have you have you seen that with people that you've sort of uh, been around or how do you help people mm -hmm. when you know a close family or even spouses are on different spaces on those journeys oh yeah absolutely and I can speak to that because Lisa and I experienced that we're we've been married 35 years now and um, you know for our whole lives basically we were journeying together like this you know like side by side not only on the same book but in this on the same page and then when this all happened it was you know we started separating um, theologically and um, so yeah it is a challenge uh, some people don't make it and I've seen that some people don't make it we, we had a real struggle because you know we we you're used to being so much on the same page spiritually and then all of a sudden we you don't know how to communicate anymore or be together anymore um, in that way spiritually because we, we don't you know we don't think the same way or believe the same things or use the same words you know so uh, it it took a lot of uh, patience um, a lot of uh, uh, adjustment to get used to each other uh, again spiritually and uh, to because I've always said this but this is when it was really tested uh, it isn't compatibility that keeps people together it's it's love and um, so Lisa and I had always been very compatible spiritually but we became incompatible yeah. in a way spiritually and so what what but what kept us together was love now now you know we we wandered we were you know spiraling in and out of you know like this for a, a while now we we found a balance and we're happy there again but it 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 took, took some time like i say it did it took a, a couple of years to figure that out but but i do see a lot of marriages um and friendships uh, erode and disintegrate because some people just uh, the differences are too great maybe uh, differences are too great or maybe one um, one person is just too uh, maybe dogmatic in their beliefs and can't bend at all um, maybe one's growing and the other's not yeah yeah so it's a tough time but it like you say it's a necessary one if you want to grow this is going to happen. One of the best books you can read on relationships, <clears throat> it's actually about sex. It's called Passionate Marriage by David Schnark. But it's a great book. I always recommend it. 
But he talks about how a relationship, it's two people go into the cauldron or the furnace, and you don't come out the same. You can't. If one person changes, the other person has to change. And if that person refuses to change, then separation is going to occur. Right. So it's the same spiritually. When you when it, you enter into a relationship with somebody, and and the spiritual component is there, you 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 go into the furnace, and change is going to happen. Uh, if if and you know that from your relationships, if one person changes, it forces you to change, to re-examine your own beliefs, uh, readjust, um, make yourselves more comfortable together. So, yeah, it's uh, and that happens spiritually, uh, and it it can be done though. It's hard work, but it can be done. I feel like I'm doing all the talking, so. so I'm going to move us. I'm going to move us into uh, another topic here, which is uh, on our sheet. Um, a person recently wrote a column. Uh, her name is Susie Meister, and she says she grew up a conservative Christian and a staunch Republican, and she tells the story of uh, campaigning that. for George W. Bush back in the 2000 campaign. And I believe went to a uh, conservative Christian college, um, but she said that over time, uh, studying the Bible and studying her own faith made her a liberal. And a direct quote from her: She says, "Growing up immersed in the evangelical community, I was so familiar with the Christian rhetoric and worldview that it never occurred to me that we might be getting it all wrong." Yes. And I'm wondering, uh, does that story resonate? Uh, with you, Tina, or with you, David, at all? Um, you know, I read that article, and it totally resonates with me. Um, but she did say something about, like, when she was growing up, she was told what the Bible said and taught what it meant. And when she got out on her own, um, she started reading it on her own. And it, it took on a, a whole different meaning. Or that's what I took from part of it. But, um, yeah, I totally resonate with that. Um, I grew up in a... a pretty, um, you know, by the Bible religion, and, and yeah, I, I separate. I, I, I get what she means, and, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. You guys talk. <laughs> David, what about you? Uh, did, was, what, what role did the Bible play in your own path of uh, spiritual evolution? Well, an important one. I mean, that was the, I remember when I first, uh, became a believer when I was in my mid-teens. I was a Bible maniac, and my, my youth leader would take me in, you know, into home, and we would study the Bible together with pencil crayons and color scheme, all the themes of the Bible. Like, just, you know, I was, I was a maniac over the Bible, and, and that became the center of my life, my whole Christian life, you know. So I went to Bible college just... I was a music major for a while, but I switched to Bible and theology, and then went to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary and studied under studied under Dr. Gordon Fee, the world's greatest New Testament Bible, you know, critic, uh, text yeah. critic. and you know, and so the the Bible was a huge center of my life. But uh, I'll tell you, it was it was like uh, you know the Jenga blocks, you know Jenga yes. blocks. Mm -hmm. So that. My belief in the, and trust in the Bible as the Word of God and inspired, you know, inerrant, whatever, was the, the cornerstone of everything. 
And during my study, studies in seminary, that came out. <laughs> that I lost that. Um, I lost that Jenga block, and the whole tower came crumbling down. My whole belief system was dependent on that one thing. And so it changed everything. It changed the whole landscape. That's when I think I really, really started on my long journey of theological deconstruction that took, you know, a couple of decades after that, or three decades, you know. So, That's David, what is, I'm sorry, what, what, what does the Bible mean to you now, then? Oh, well, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of barking in that way, where it's, it's uh, the word, uh, small w, that points to the word, capital W. So, for me, it's, it's a... It's a sign. It's it's written by men that point to uh, written written during their time, during their day, during their age, during, in their culture, uh, um, pointing to and trying to articulate a, a mystery that had been revealed to them. So that that to me is what the the Bible is. So, um, but yeah. So and and also in my in my journey, the Bible. Um, actually gave me permission to question, I felt, and explore, and eventually um, made me change so that I was no longer as dependent on it or codependent upon it in an in unhealthy way. So, so you went from a codependent relationship with the Bible to a healthy relationship with the Bible. I think so. I love that. I love that vision. Yeah. But now yeah, that I, article, that article. Now I'm in Canada, so our right. our politics are different here. But it, I I was wondering, like I I totally get what she's writing, totally get what she's saying, and I it's kind of interesting though because this is a thing in the United States that really isn't quite the same in Canada. Is um, we that you guys uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, often your theology aligns you with a political party. I find that really interesting. Yeah. So uh, that's something you don't see in, in Canada uh, okay. the same way. We're, we're going to bring you back when we have a political discussion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian, what do you what do you think about that? Can you, does, does the, that article resonate with you, with her journey? Totally, totally. I think uh, there are overlaps with my own experiences as well. Uh, Similar to David, while I was in seminary, I uh, learned, um, you know, biblical scholarship. I had to study the original languages mm -hmm. and uh, really dig into scripture itself. And the Bible is just very good at deconstructing, deconstructing itself, or at least deconstructing what you think it ought to be, because it isn't often what you think it ought to be. And, and so the more I studied scripture, the more I realized... I was bringing in so many preconceived notions of what it was, what it wasn't, um, how to read it, how not to read it, and that there were so many layers of uh, so many layers or lenses through which I was reading the Bible that I was not even aware of growing up. We just had the Bible, and it was you know just read it, and it was true, and that was the Word of God. But then I began to realize, wait, we've piled on top of this for a couple thousand years. Uh, a bunch of uh -huh. theological arguments and um, 
dogma and so forth that makes it really hard for me to get actually at that level of well, what maybe did the original hearers of this text think or believe? What was the situation of the person or persons who are writing this particular book or letter? Um, and how did the culture inform it? Both the culture they're receiving and in the um, sort of in the tradition of, uh, which um, would be the Jewish tradition and all that, all the variances there. But then, you know, does the Roman Empire speak into this or the Babylonian Empire? Um, anyway, so the more I began to dig into those things, it, it at first caused a lot of unsettling because the foundation, as David said, that Jenga tower began to fall and I didn't have that solid floor anymore. And then once I processed that, it began to be very exciting because to me that made the Bible much more relatable, interesting. It had a lot more edges. Um, and to me it's been more exciting since I've sort of deconstructed those original views to continue to pour into, well, what is it? what was it saying then and what might it be trying to say now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, my... my my political leanings uh, shifted as I became more more progressive-minded about my faith, and um, you know, I just began to see an emphasis in Scripture on justice, on caring for the least, on caring for the poor, on loving my enemies, and I just thought, wait, the way I've been voting is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> opposite of that. What have I been doing? Um, and that's not to say that I, you know have landed on any particular party because I think our two-party system is a little limited uh, yeah. in terms of scope. Um, uh-huh. So I tend to be a little bit more independent but on the very progressive side politically now. Uh-huh. David, I have to say I often wonder what other countries think of us, especially now with the current election going on. I I really just wonder. But yeah, give us a two-minute you... aside maybe. Huh? <laughs> oh. I'm, uh, I, I, am, I am following it. I. I'm, oh, I'm sure everybody's following it. Oh yeah, I check in CNN every day. It's uh, it's uh, bewildering actually. I'm I'm pretty pretty. Uh, I can't believe it actually, the way the way things are going, and uh, I, I it's a little bit scary to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So not a little bit actually. I'm glad I'm not there. Hmm. But, is there room north of the border? You better get here before they build a wall, though. <laughs> exactly. I saw that. I saw that video on Facebook. It's so funny. It's Canada for president in yeah. the U.S. Yeah. It's awesome. I actually I was reading um, a post, a friend of mine, um, and he's he's a pretty traditional Christian from, from what I remember. Um, yeah. But he put a post, and he's like, I feel like we're living in this alternate universe like you're on some sci-fi movie where you're living in this alternate universe where like the worst people imaginable are the people in charge. <laughs> he's like, if, if anybody finds the alternate universe, and he said he feels like there's another United States out there that's like the real universe. Yeah. And he's like, and if, if my double ever comes here, I'm just knocking him out and leaving and going to that one. <laughs> so it's funny that everybody sees it's crazy, but it's still happening. Yeah, but, it, it is very much happening. That's it. I'm sorry, Brian. I went off topic. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I, uh, I'm. Um, it is kind of like I, I. I wonder why I'm. I'm continually checking in on CNN, and it's. 
I'm kind of like watching an accident happen. <laughs> I was just going like to say I, that. Wait, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Like, so today, like, did they, um, like, I know Bernie Sanders had a town hall today, but was it broadcast? I don't think so. I didn't hear about it. No. I didn't know about it. And I don't think they covered much of it. And, uh, but boy, you're sure hearing a lot about what Donald Trump's doing. So it's like I keep I keep checking in just because I can't. I, I just want to see what's going to happen next. It's. Uh, but he's the entertaining the one. Huh? But he's getting media attention because he he's the entertaining one. He's the train wreck. He's the. Oh, it's, it's very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I understand his appeal. I I, I certainly get that. But um, yeah, I. Uh, you know the appealing to the anger and the frustration and all that, but wow, yeah, it's uh, fascinating, fascinating to watch. So, David, uh, tell us about a recent cartoon that you've drawn that you really enjoyed, or that uh, really caused a stir and connected with people or disturbed them. Uh, okay. Um, I did one just the other day where uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's a bunch of people hanging It's behind on. you. Huh? David, it's behind you. The, the selfie one? Oh, yeah. You can see that? Yeah. Holy wow. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> Talk to us about that. I love it. Um, the process for me drawing a cartoon is always very, I don't know, I wake up in the morning and I do my morning routine thing and I sit down to draw a cartoon and they'll just pop into my head and this one just popped into my head and I drew it and I enjoyed drawing it and it, it was very popular it just went everywhere and uh, but that's one of the cartoons where I'm almost everybody you know likes it and shares it and everything so that was a good one but um, yesterday I did one where a woman is obviously reporting a rape she's been raped and um, sexually assaulted and uh, one policeman is saying she says that she was raped but there were no witnesses and then a woman cop says there's her and uh, the whole point being that women have aren't to justify really, it. They're, they're not reliable witnesses to their own lives mm -hmm. I always get, I'll tell you, I always get uh, I always get um, kickback from that theme when when uh, I advocate for women's rights or uh, uh, when I speak out against the silencing of women or um, when I provide a space for women to tell their stories that has always been the one thing that gets me the most in trouble mm. that, says a lot. that says a lot David so thank you for the work you're doing oh well thank you but I mean it, it it hit me yesterday like a ton of bricks kind of hit me it was like almost every time I've gotten into major conflict has been over um, pro, uh, speaking out for women's equal rights or providing a space for a woman to tell her story her side of the story or her story or you know things like that it's it's cause the most uh, conflict and uh, that's that is uh, telling 
It, it's sort of it's like somebody wrote on my um, blog yesterday because of the, some of the responses was well the the comments here kind of just prove your point you know so right. so cartooning uh, it's a lot of fun like that the selfie one it was a lot of fun and you know everybody loves it and you're like wow that really speaks to me and everything and then there's cartoons that stir stuff up and wonder if I should have opened my mouth kind of things you know but yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's when you really need to put them out there, David. <laughs> Tell us how you came up with the name or the idea of going with uh, naked, naked Pastor as the moniker. Oh, well, yeah. It, uh, my, my first blog name was Church Pundit. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I thought it was a good name, but it sounded kind of uh, ostentatious, you know. So mm -hmm. I, you know, at that time... Um, Naked Chef was out. Uh, what's his name? Um, anyway, yeah. uh, the Naked Chef, and uh, I thought, oh, Naked Pastor, that's kind of a ring to it. That's kind of cool. So I, I submitted it. I, I wanted it. It wasn't available, so I put my name in. I, I, I wanted to buy it and totally forgot about it. And then many months later, I got an email. Congratulations, you won the auction. Uh, you you won the name nakedpastor.com, and I'm like, oh, no, I forgot about it. <laughs> I wondered, like, thousands of dollars, you know. And uh, anyway, it was $68 or something. It's like, that was a, a great find. So basically, Naked Pastor is just me bearing my soul, a pastor bearing his soul, and uh, nothing else. It's totally PG. But um, Understood. But now people say maybe it means you're a pastor without his church on. So... Ah, nice, yeah. nice. And I, and I do like what you also say on the website. You say, I love helping people undress religion to the core essential of their own unique spirituality. Yeah. So I, think, so, I think you've used it in good ways. Yeah, so that's important because I'm not against religion. I respect religion and love religion and admire religion in many ways. I'm not an enemy of religion or spirituality or belief or anything like that. Um, but... Religion is like a uh, a cloak. It's it's not who we are. There's something beneath that, right? So um, it's okay to to wear your religion, um, but who is the person uh, underneath? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. How do we get to our core humanity underneath? Uh, yeah. That's common to all of us, and that sometimes we're just disconnected from, and sometimes. Um, our faith is not assisted in that process. Right. Like, so our our beliefs, our thinking can only get us so far. At some point, it needs to become, I don't know, while Jesus taught it, the Buddha taught it, you know, uh, it needs to become compassion. So that, who is that person underneath all the, all the beliefs and traditions and rituals and liturgies and all that, which is all fine? But, and it's like Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? It's okay if you measure out all your little ties and, and spices and herbs and everything, as long as you don't neglect the poor. So it's okay to be religious. It's okay to, you know, be theological. But are, are you taking care of, uh, are you compassionate? Yeah. Exactly. So I wanted to ask um, in our time left here so is your primary your primary um, 
community, spiritual or otherwise, um, online at this point? Or do you have any local um, connections to any um, community around David, spirituality? David, it's a trick question. He's going to try to get you to start pub theology up there. <laughs> yeah, uh, my primary community is uh, the Lasting Supper. Now, of course, there's Lisa and I, my wife and I, and our three kids. Our three kids are gone, but... Yeah, Lisa and I, but our, my primary community is the, the lastingsupper.com. But there, I have friends that I meet with. Um, and then uh, there's a, a vineyard church. A really good, we're really good friends with the pastor there. And, oh, we were always friends. But it's like an hour, an hour over an hour's drive there. And, and Lisa works shift work, so we go when we can. We'll be going next weekend, not this coming one, but the next one. Actually, I'm speaking that weekend there about my new book, Questions Are the Answer. So uh, I love going and, you know, listening to the worship band. And he's a very gracious, he's the kind of guy that provides a safe space for people to grow at their own rate, the way they want. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, in a vineyard church. That's cool. Have you, have you had any connection to the United Church of Canada and... What's your um, um, what's your take on that? As you know, they've had some issues uh, with pastors declaring themselves perhaps atheists. Well, I'm should... a good friend with I'm a good friend with her. Yeah, I'm yeah. friends, and uh, I totally respect her and her position. And I've I've written a couple blog posts in her defense, and nice. so I think she actually is uh, paradigmatic for the future of the church too. She's the kind of person that allows. Uh, that same kind of space, and if you end up an atheist, that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I've helped people become atheists too. Like I have a couple of friends who used to be believers, and um, I've guided them through and helped them and friended them and walked along with them to where they are now. They're very grateful to me. I didn't intend for it to end this way, but this is how it ended up. When you give people freedom to be who they are, you can't, you know predict what they're going to end up. So, yeah, uh, the United Church, uh, they're, in a, they're in a steamy hot battle right now, and I think it's important that her whole case is very important, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, that's one of the things we try to do at uh, local pub theology groups as well, is stress that uh, you may become uh, more religious or more spiritual after hanging out and coming to these conversations, or you may say, man, what have I been doing? I need to stop going to church, uh, and, you know, we're, we're okay with either result. The, the key is, are you being honest with yourself and where you are, and right. is your growth taking the steps toward a better and healthier you? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Not everybody likes to hear that, though. No. No, uh, and that's that's exactly why it doesn't doesn't work in many many churches. So, um, because we like to control the outcomes. So, what uh, church denomination are you in now, Brian? I'm in uh, the Christian Reformed Church, okay. uh, Christian Reformed Church of North America, CRCNA. So we're actually uh, U.S. and Canadian. Yep, I I remember Christian Reformed. It's the predominantly, uh, where I grew up, it was predominantly Dutch. Exactly, Dutch Calvinist, and I fit the stereotype. Both my parents were born in the Netherlands. 
Oh, okay. Um, so that you know, that's what I grew up in, and uh, that's what I'm ordained in. But uh, as I said, I'm on the process to a more progressive uh, situation, and have to you know do some work to transfer my ordination. But I'm excited about it, and it, it'll be a new a new space. But it'll be okay. good. Cool. It'll well, be good. Path and your journey getting there. That's awesome. Exactly. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap us up. We're about at the end of the hour here. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Uh, any last any last words? No, just, uh, you know, if you want to check out The Lasting Supper, it's thelastingsupper.com, and my books are all available on Amazon. Just, you know, look under David Hayward or Naked Pastor. It'll all be there. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, just embrace yourself. Embrace yourself. And, uh, you know, own your journey, and you'll be, you know, pleased with the results, I'm sure. I love good it. word, good word. Tina, thanks for joining us as well, and friends, for tuning in. Those who tuned in live, you can um, connect and spread the word, please, on social media. Uh, listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash live. You can find a Pub Theology gathering uh, near you at pubtheology.com. And again, thanks to our sponsor, Craft Beer Cellar. We'll see you uh, next time. We're over and out.